You are listening to Sparking Wholeness with Erin Carey, where we talk about all things related to nutrition for mind, body, and soul. Are you ready? Let's do this. Hey, everybody, it's Erin Carey, and welcome back to Sparking Wholeness. I am really excited about today's episode. I am interviewing Erica Cooney. She is known as the burnout professor. She's a stress and burnout expert. She teaches high achievers how to consciously thrive through an integrative approach. She is the founder of the Cooney Method, which stands for Create Undeniable Natural Impact. She is a former trauma psychotherapist, clinical director, and adjunct lecturer and clinical professor at Central Connecticut State University. Her mission is to help make the mental health field more effective, accessible, decolonized, and non-stigmatizing. Erica found her mission in 2014 after being hit by a Mack dump truck, literally, while driving to work and having her life fall completely apart over the following 14 months. That's incredible. I mean, it almost sounds like it's not real. People don't usually believe me. That's why we add, or I added the literally yeah, after yeah. the Mack dump truck, because it's like, no, that really happened. It's not the metaphor of, yeah, I feel like I got hit by a Mack dump truck. No, I'm one of the few people in the world that could say got hit by one and survived to tell about it. Yeah, that's crazy. Wow. Well, thank you. And welcome to the show. Thank you for being on. No, thank you for having me. I'm honored to be here. And when you reached out, I was like doing the happy dance. I was like, yes, I get to be on her show. Yeah, no, this is this is going to be really fun because I, you know, and I'll say the background to this is I've been following Erica on Instagram of all places, but that's where a lot of really good information is. And she shared a post and this is what the post said. It says, we are not treating mental illnesses. Instead, we are learning how to get our nervous systems unstuck through diet, mindset, emotional regulation, movement, and connection that best fits our unique situation. And that post hit me so hard because I feel like that is everything that I've wanted to share on this show. That's everything that I want to communicate with people. And it sounds like that's what you're about as well. 100%. I'll even go probably 150%. And you know, following you back on Instagram, I've resonated strongly with your story Mm -hmm. as well. And I was like, yes, there's alignment here. And (laughs) it's something that I think that needs to get out more and more to the world. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So tell me a little bit more about how you, how you got where you are right now. To start. So that Mac dump truck was the start, right? Because before (laughs) that Mac dump truck, I would have told you I was fine. I would have told you I was kick butt at handling stress. I was a pro at it. I was a crisis therapist. You wanted Mm. me in your crisis, right? Mm -hmm. Because I could take chaos, bring it all the way to the calm with compassion, right? And if you asked me afterwards how I was doing, I'd be like, I'm fine. I'm good, right? And so being laid up after the Mac dump truck, because I had emergency surgery right after that or that day, I should say, of the accident. I was in the hospital for a week, and then I was laid up on the couch for three months, right? So for the first time probably ever in my life, I sat still, and it was really uncomfortable. It's not something that I would like to do. And I came from the restaurant business as well. So I had that motto in my head, you got time to lean, you got time to clean, right? Mm -hmm. So I was always constantly doing something and sitting in that, on that couch with my foot raised up in the air, realizing how powerless I was. And I couldn't do things that I would normally do even down to a shower. It brought me to a point of, okay, what am I doing here? Right. And so Did I pay attention though? No. 
I didn't pay mm-hmm. attention at that point. And the minute I could walk again, I went full steam ahead and I went back to work and, you know, continued on with my life as if that accident was like, okay, it's gone. I did it. I dealt with it. I moved on. Right. And the universe has a beautiful way of making sure you understand what you need to learn for your highest and best to get you where you need to be. And my life, every area of my life fell apart after that Mac dump truck accident. Um, a long-term toxic relationship ended and I was fired from my job and I was never somebody that was fired. I was always promoted. And so mm. that was a really humbling experience for me. And then um, I had to move back home with my parents in my mid thirties um, mm. when this happened. And this was due because I had so much debt as well. And I couldn't function at that high level that I was used to functioning at. Right. So when you think of like how many plates you got spinning up in the air, they started falling and crashing and I didn't have a way to catch them anymore. The way that I had known up to that point was no longer working. Mm. So my first night at my parents' house, I was sitting there on the floor, ugly crying with a bottle of wine saying, how the heck did I get here? I thought I was doing everything right. You know, I had a master's degree. I was a therapist at this point, helping other people figure their stuff out. And I was like, what am I missing here? And I had already done traditional talk therapy prior going to grad school to become a therapist myself, because that's what motivated me to want to become a therapist. Background on me is I'm a former club DJ with a business undergrad degree. I did not (laughs) want to do therapy. This was not on my radar. Um, And then life happened when I was in my mid twenties, right. To make me go to therapy. And so here we are fast forward on my parents' floor and I'm like, okay, what is, what's happening here? Something's got to give. I went back to traditional talk therapy. It was making more me more agitated and I would walk out feeling worse than I did when I was going in. Right. Mm -hmm. And knowing everything that I knew at this point, because I was already a seasoned therapist. I was looking at the talk therapist one day when I was in my session, I'm like, she's not going to tell me anything that I don't already know. And I already explored every nook and cranny when I went, when I was in my twenties, right. To therapy. So I was like, no, I'm missing something here. What am I missing? And this took me on the deep dive into the woo-woo side of wellness, but it's not woo-woo anymore. (laughs) Nope. Right. And this is where I found my healing. And it was, I never looked back. I haven't looked back. And I transitioned out of being a traditional talk therapist myself professionally, walked away. I closed my private practice and said, I am disenchanted. I'm disgusted with how this is working. This isn't what doesn't work. It does not work. And I went and got a bunch of certifications to become an integrative psychotherapist. Mm. And here I am. I love that you share that. I think it's important. I, you know, and maybe you can answer this question. It seems like, and I've been told this before that I have a high capacity for stress, right? Like we have all of these achievers, these doers, these go get them people that have a high capacity for stress until we don't. (laughs) (laughs) Until you get hit by that Mac dump truck. (laughs) Right. Right. And, and so I just, I'd love to know, why do you think some people seem to have a higher capacity for stress and, and why is actively managing that stress? Why is that important? I think we're all capable of handling a lot of stress. It just looks differently for a lot of Mm. people. Right. And so even though somebody's looking like they're not doing much, they're managing a crap ton of stress on the inside. Right. And so I look at it more from the nervous system perspective and saying, you know, okay, are you in fight or flight right now? Well, fight, flight, or freeze right now? Are you in possum? 
you know, after that 14 months and I had moved back home with my parents and everything like fell apart and the dust was settling, I was in possum mode at that point. Mm-hmm. I couldn't function, right? I was sleeping because I was like, I can't deal. Like I was too overwhelmed, right? But then there's that other level that's right above if you look at this in a hierarchy. So you have the possum on the bottom where you just are like, I'm going where it goes. I have nothing left to give. You know, I'm just going to blow where the wind takes me. The fight, flight, or freeze that's above that, that's where you get the people that are the high achievers that push, 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 and ignore any body signals Mm -hmm. and just say, suck it up, buttercup, or you got this. Don't think about that. Just keep going. Just keep, and it's the forcing of everything, right? And if you look at it through that lens, you go to your childhood. Where did you learn how to deal with stress? How was your parents or whoever your primary caregivers were, how did they deal with your big emotions? How did they deal with their stress? How did your biological grandparents deal with their stress? Because you can go into epigenetics at this point, right? Oh, for sure. (laughs) Like it just keeps unraveling and unraveling, right? So if you came from stressed out families, you are going to be a stressed out individual yourself, unless you become aware and you do the work yourself and you learn how to navigate your nervous system hierarchies. And that's what this entire journey has been for me is learning, oh, I'm in that fight, flight, or freeze right now. This is not the good stress right now because stress isn't bad. We got to be mindful of that. It's not bad. It's when it's overwhelming for us. So we have to learn how to build that tolerance. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. And, you know, on the topic of managing stress, I think that's a great place to pause and thank our sponsor for today's episode. Today's episode is sponsored by Indeed. Nothing is more stressful than the process of hiring. And right now, hiring can be more challenging than ever. It's time for a hiring partner that can help you rise to the challenge. That's Indeed. Indeed takes the stress out of the hiring process. If you're hiring, you need Indeed because Indeed is the hiring partner where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. And Indeed is the only job site where you're guaranteed to find quality applications that meet your must-have requirements or else you don't pay. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites hoping to find candidates with the right skills, you need one powerful hiring partner that can help you do it all. Indeed partners with you on every step of the hiring process. Find great talent through time-saving tools like Indeed Instant Match, assessments, and virtual interviews. With Instant Match, as soon as you sponsor a post, you get a short list of quality candidates with resumes on Indeed that match your job description, and you can invite them to apply right away. Plus, you only pay for quality applications that meet your must-have requirements. One of the things I love about Indeed that makes hiring all in one place so easy is that Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined, according to Talent Nest. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Talk about taking the stress out of it. Start hiring right now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com spark. Offer valid through March 31st. Go to Indeed.com spark to claim your $75 credit before March 31st. Indeed.com spark. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
All right, Erica, we're talking about managing stress and this whole state of fight, flight, or freeze. I'm, I'm always reminded that we can't heal in a sympathetic state when we're constantly dominated by fight or flight. And you know, we have a lot of chronically ill people who are trying to work out, eat better, run half marathons, and all of these things without realizing just how important that balance is is. And so I kind of love for you to talk about expand a little more on this autonomic nervous system balance and what that looks like. Absolutely. And such a great point that you just pointed out. You know, you can't heal in that dysfunction that made you sick. And you can't heal from the family that was toxic and traumatic either. And then you can't heal in a job that is chaotic and crazy unless you learn how to get to that parasympathetic state, or I call it the rest and digest for simple terms. And it's important to know how to rest. It's important to know how to actively rest and actively resting can be, you know, people think meditation right off the bat. I did not do well with meditation in the beginning. Most people Mm -hmm. who are go-getters and most people that have um, a activated nervous system or a traumatized nervous system, They do not do well with meditation right away. And then they beat themselves up about it. And then they say, nope, see, it's not for me. I can't do that. I'm not capable of doing that. And I'm here to say you are capable of doing it. You got to just train yourself to do that. And so active resting is maybe you do a yoga nidra, you know, exercise that's on YouTube and it's free and it's somebody talking and it guides you through this um, relaxing of your entire body, muscle by muscle, cell by cell type of thing. And it's not an actual yoga, like how when you think yoga. And so knowing how to rest is where all of a sudden your body is able to start acting the way that it was meant to act. Because when we're in fight or flight, parts of our body systems are shut down and anything that is left that's running on what's the way it's supposed to be running is for survival mode only. That's why you can't lose weight. That's why you can't focus, Mm -hmm. right? And if it's out, if you can't learn something new and I should say, you can really focus sometimes when you're in fight or flight, right? It's that hyper-focus though. You can't see anything else. So if you can learn how to actively rest, you can calm your body and your brain down. And then that's when you're able to access all parts of your brain. Because when we go into that fight or flight, our brain parts of our brain shut down completely. So all that rational thinking, the executive functioning, that goes completely offline. Your ability to have memories connect the way that they need. Your language center goes offline as well. So that's why when we're in crisis mode, you have those simple signs. Think of like the fire um, drills that you have to go through. The fire signs are like one, two, three, three steps. And they're mostly pictures because when you're in that stressed mode, you won't be able to absorb any new information. So think of that when you are trying to function in your everyday life, if you're chronically stressed right now or overwhelmed, that's why it's like 51st dates or groundhog day when you try to do mm-hmm. things and you're like on that hamster wheel and you can't seem to get out of your own way. That's your number one sign that your nervous system's activated and you need to, hey, maybe take a break for a moment. And I don't mean sleep all day. You don't have to do that either. It's just take some deep breaths. And as of right now, what we do know, you know, based out of the Huberman lab, out of Stanford, right? That the physiological size are the fastest and the quickest ways to get our nervous systems back into parasympathetic. I like that. Yeah. Can you expand on that a little bit? Sure. The physiological sigh 
is something our body does naturally. Mm -hmm. And the best way that I describe it is think of when you have like a four-year-old who just had a huge meltdown, they're crying and you're trying to say, I can't understand you. I need you to calm down so that I can understand you. What do they do? They go, (sighs) right. That's a physiological sigh. It's two inhales in and then an exhale out. And the exhale out is elongated, meaning it's longer than the two inhales that you did to like right on top of each other. And what that does is it calms your nervous system down instantaneously with one to three times. So if you're short on time, you're in a meeting and you're in a stressed out meeting, or you're in a space where you can't get away, shifting your physiological states is as easy as doing it with your breathing. I love that. You know, it's interesting that you bring that up because I, in the last six years, uh, yeah, it's, it's been six years discovered yoga and it was something I never, I never thought I could do because it's so slow. You know, I was a cardio <laughs> addict. Like I just needed to keep moving. I was the one I'm training for a half marathon, you know, all the time. Cause I just needed to keep the buzz going. Um, when in fact the buzz was probably killing me, you know, it was too much. Um, there's a time and a place for all of that, but I have noticed there are times in yoga when I'm starting out, starting out with that intentional breathing and it comes out more like a double sigh like that. And it makes me go, Oh, wow. Have I even taken a deep breath today? Cause if it's coming out like that, I'm already walking in there overwhelmed, you know? And I think that that's something for us to pay attention to is when we're breathing, where are we breathing? Are we breathing from our chest? Or are we breathing from our belly? And how deep does that breath go? Cause most of us it's not going very deep and, and it keeps our bodies stressed out. Right. And I joke when I give public talks and say, you know, I didn't know how to breathe. I would have told you, yeah, I know how to breathe. And then I went to a meditation class. And the first time I went, I was like, oh, maybe I don't know how to breathe. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So it's good to know, like to check in with yourself, like everyone listening right now, just take a moment and check where's your breath falling. Is it in your throat? Is it halfway down your chest or is it all the way at the bottom of your lungs? And that even just taking the time to become aware of that is huge. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, and you, you said something interesting too, about the, how the DSM, right. That's the diagnostic tool for, you know, how we, we have our little checklist of you're depressed, you you're anxious, you are bipolar, you know, or you have bipolar, whatever it is. Right. I don't like to say you are because I feel like well, that's on the stigmatizing. Yeah. I, I hate that. Um, but you mentioned that almost every diagnosis that we have is a dysregulated nervous system. And that is something that resonates with me because I believe my, cause I was diagnosed with PTSD, depression, bipolar, by the time I was 18. And I believe it was rooted in trauma and a dysregulated nervous system. And once I got that figured out, I was able to heal, but I don't think we're getting that message. So I'd love for you to explain more about that. Yes. You just explained it beautifully in my opinion. And <laughs> you know, trauma equates to a dysregulated system, right? It's not something different. And, you know, the DSM was originally created as a way for the professionals to speak with one another because they were noticing that there was certain behaviors clumped together that happened regularly. There were patterns that were happening, right? And then they also were, it was created for the insurance companies. So a way for insurance to be able to pay for the services And then it was also for pharmaceutical companies. We have to be honest. We have to be blunt about this. I'm going to be a straight shooter right now. Mm -hmm. It has become so political and it has become so not about what it was originally intended for. It's created this own beast. And when 
if I have my way, we would get rid of the DSM and create a wellness or a well-being book and how to attain wellness and yeah. how to attain well-being because that book is focused on it's not nervous system based it's not trauma informed and it's not contextual and what i mean by contextual is you know when you have certain situations happening in your life if you were to change and shift things remove yourself from a scenario and make some changes whether it's in your diet the way you move right the relationships you have all of a sudden your symptoms go away your diagnosis is not lifelong. And that's a message that's not out there. It's not your, my biggest pet peeve is when someone says, oh, I'm bipolar. I'm like, oh, what do you mean by bipolar? Oh, I was diagnosed when 20 years ago. Well, that doesn't mean you're bipolar right now. And that doesn't even mean you are bipolar. It means right. you have some symptoms that have happened and they manifested because everything in almost everything, I should say, in that DSM, is a manifestation of stress. Mm. And it's, so if you go and look at it through a polyvagal theory or a nervous system way, you'll see, okay, I just need to start focusing on how to regulate that nervous system and don't pay attention to that label. There's no need to pay attention to that label. It's more because we're not broken and there's nothing for you to fix. It's about building a life that allows you to flourish and thrive. Mm -hmm. Ooh, I love that. Yes, I am right there. I had chills when you, when you said that, because it's so true. I think many people are limited by their labels that they were given many, many years ago. I was told, well, this is what you have. You're going to need medication for the rest of your life. That was not the case, you know? And I think sometimes we hear these things and because we can't trust our own bodies, because we don't want to be present in our own bodies either, we rely on what other people tell us. And that's just the way it is. And we don't look any further. It's kind of scary to have to dig into um, what's actually going on within. And it's, it's scary to be present in your own body. It can be in the very beginning, right? And I'm also the biggest message I want to convey is we don't have to talk about our stressors. Mm. You don't have to talk about them. That is why traditional therapy, traditional talk therapy does not work effectively. Interesting. It's more about, you can go into the therapist office, but the therapist should be also incorporating some mindfulness, some movement of some sort. And also it's about switching mindset. Yes. But it's not about going back and analyzing everything and then trying to figure out why your parents acted the way they acted. That's where we get caught up and we keep re-traumatizing ourselves and the more you just focus on, okay, so today you walk into my office, right? I'm going to say, how are you doing? You can start talking about your stressors right away about what's happening right here, right now. And I'll pause and I'll say, let's get some breaths going. Let's take some time to just recenter ourselves. And then the more we focus on your routine and your habits that you have every day to help regulate your nervous system, you notice that we don't have to talk about the stressors as much anymore. And you're not re-traumatizing your body as much. And you are able to start really creating that flexible nervous system that we're looking for. And you'll be able to function and you'll be able to thrive. That's so good. Yeah. The flexible nervous system. I think that that's, that's key. And the re-traumatization -trauma, um, by looking back at past stressors. I mean, that's 
That is so interesting. I've, I've really been digging into why talk therapy just doesn't seem to be cutting it the way it maybe used to, maybe it never was. I don't know. My husband and I talk about this. He's a therapist, but he got <laughs> trained. He got certified in EMDR and he's mm-hmm. looking into other certifications. And we work at a wellness center where we have nutrition coaching. We have massage therapy. We have yoga. We have EMDR. We have these other trauma therapies because we do need more tools and we get trapped in the loop of re-traumatizing ourselves. And so I just think that that's so interesting. You bring that up because that's something that has been on my heart a lot lately. Yes. So I'm not trained in EMDR. I'm aware of it. I, you know, I've been, I went to trainings for it, mm-hmm. right. But I am certified as an IFS level one therapist, internal okay. family systems. And that's what really opened my eyes. And my graduate school that I went to was um, big into IFS as well. Right. So I grew up I'm putting that in quotes. My therapy career grew up with um, trauma-informed approaches and not the traditional talk therapy way of doing things, right? And I want to backtrack for a moment too to also I'll self-disclose that I've I've been diagnosed bipolar. I've been mm-hmm. diagnosed um, with depression, and you know I did have some crazy life events that happened before the Mack dump truck accident. Mm-hmm. You know when I was in my 20s, a boyfriend passed away in a motorcycle accident, right? Mm-hmm. So. And then I have intergenerational trauma. Mm-hmm. My family moved from Italy and Sicily. And so there was trauma when they came over from that. Wow. And then there's trauma from a grandparent that was in an orphanage her entire life. And so, you know, it's so much more than going into the office and saying, oh, you're bipolar. Well, what does that mean? <laughs> that, what the heck does that mean? And, you know, when I was teaching at the university, you know, I had the privilege and the honor of um, teaching one of the first classes they have to take in their graduate program, human development. And I used to be like, no diagnoses in this class. I threw out the DSM. I don't know what you mean. So if we're going to drop a, <laughs> a diagnosis, I want you to tell me what you're seeing or the behaviors that you're talking about, because that diagnosis is so vague. But if you look and break it down to behaviors, that's where the change can happen. Yeah. And then that's where you're empowered. hmm I love that. So what, what do you recommend? What's a good starting place? Like how, you know, breath work. I know that you mentioned that that one is huge, but what are some behaviors that we can incorporate that are not stressful <laughs> that help us to find this flexible nervous system? Because life is stressful. You know, we've got two years of fear and stress and that's a trauma that we can get into that in a second. Um, but yeah, what's, what's a starting place for somebody? You know, it's so simple besides your breath. Um, so we're going to break it down this way. You have in the moment things that you can do, and then you have things you can do as a um, routine for over time. So in the moment is like when you're in a stressed out situation and you got to regulate and that's your breathing techniques. That is also using your vision because your eyes are part of your brain as well in your nervous system. So if you're in a really stressed out situation and, or you're feeling activated, With your eyes, I want you to stand up and instead of focusing on something, I want you to see how far out you can see using your peripheral vision. Hmm. And that shifts things as well, you know, and then there's other things you can do with your hearing. You can close your eyes and then say to yourself, okay, what's the furthest sound that I can hear outside of the building that I'm in right Uh now? And then you go in and say, okay, what's the furthest sound that I can hear inside the building? And then you go, okay, what's the sounds that I hear in the room that I'm in right now? And then what's the sound that I hear inside of my body? You know, and these all bring you back to the present moment. 
But if you're looking for the creating and the sustaining of a flexible nervous system, simple things can start with um, getting outside and getting sun exposure, even when it's cloudy. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so the rule of thumb is to, upon waking within the first 10 to 30 minutes, get outside and get exposed to light. And it's preferable before 1030 AM and be out there for 10 to 30 minutes. So if it's really sunny out, you can get away with 10 minutes, but if it's cloudy, stick to the more of the 30 minute mark. Right. And so I do that because I have to walk my dog. So (laughs) I am grateful for my dog. Um, even when I'm not a morning person, but he gets me outside, right. And I'm exposed to that light. What that does is it starts to, it kickstarts your circadian rhythm, right. And it sets your biological clock. The other component to this is when it starts to, um, the sun starts to set, get outside and where the low light is. And so that your eyes can absorb that, that low light is going down and be out there for 10 to 30 minutes as well. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, when you're in your home, no bright lights, nothing overhead, everything eye level, right. And think candle strength, you know, something Mm -hmm. like that, not that stark light. That's very clinical. And just and definitely no exposure to bright light on your phone between 1030 and 4am. That right there, I can't stress enough how much that helps you regulate and gets your nervous system flexible because it's sleep is important to us, but we don't know how to sleep. I think we've lost that quite a bit. You know, I didn't know how to sleep. I'll tell you that right now. (laughs) Yeah. When we have that artificial lighting all the time too, and fluorescent lighting. And I used to be a teacher and of course that is all fluorescent Mm -hmm. all day long, plus a screen in my face. And I would get headaches, you know, at the end of the day. And I, I I'm interested in knowing the connection between optimizing the circadian rhythm and the nervous system. Are those connected? They are connected. Um, so our bodies get stressed out when we don't get enough sleep, right? So it's not a direct in my opinion, it's more of like the roundabout way. You want a regular circadian rhythm so that you can get the sleep. And when you get your sleep, that helps you calm your nervous system down, right? And you're able to keep it regulated that way. The other biggest component that I think that gets lost in translation is movement. You know, everyone's like, oh, are you exercising? Are you exercising? I think it's I think people get caught up and think like, go back into the eighties, you know, like, did you exercise and do your cardio and Richard Simmons? Right. And I'm like, no, it's more about the movement because when you have a stressed out nervous system, the best thing you can do for it is to move. Because what it's saying is when you go to fight, flight, or freeze is like, all right, I have this energy inside of me that I don't know what to do with. And it needs to come out. I need it to move. And if you aren't able to move, over a long period of time and you start to feel trapped, that's when you go to that possum state. Yeah. And so if you're able to move every day, whether that's through yoga, taking a walk and getting your heart rate elevated, obviously lifting weights. And I'm talking about this through a brain health component, not a physical health component. So we need to make that differentiation right there. Um, So I'm not going to, I can't speak to all the physical pieces. Cause I'm not a doctor. I'm not a physical therapist, anything like that. But what I can tell you is movement decreases inflammation. Movement helps that flexibility in your nervous system because it gets everything going and it discharges that energy that it, your body needs to know it can move. So the more stressed out our lives get, 
the more movement you need. It's not less movement. So simple things, dance it out right there. Just start moving around, dancing, jumping jacks, you know, running in place. But the best thing that we have um, known in the most recent uh, research that just showed, and I'm trying to figure out where I found it and what the article was, I'll have to get it to you, but is physical activities outside in nature has the same effect on our brain as meditation. So if you can't do meditation, go outside and move in nature. I love that. I mean, because intuitively, I believe that I love walking. Walking is one of my favorite things. And I think for a long time, I felt like walking wasn't good enough. You know, like I had to be running. I had to be, mm-hmm. I had to have my heart rate way up. <laughs> um, <laughs> but lately it's just like, this is such a good time for me to, cause I, I moved to an area where there are more trees and I love trees. I have a strange obsession with trees, but I think they're grounding for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I love to go walking and I've even noticed certain movements that I used to love. I used to rely on, and this could be because of age and hormones, who knows? Um, like even lifting weights sometimes can make me a little more anxious, a little more jittery later on in the day, as opposed to, if I do something more gentle, like yoga, which I mean, I say gentle yoga can be hard, you know, I mean, holding poses is it's no joke. Um, but walking yoga, something lighter intensity seems to keep me more regulated throughout the day. Whereas the higher intensity activities, have become a little bit too much for me right now at this stage. And I think that that's an important distinction, right? It's like not the the different movements, different stages of life, different seasons, you know, it changes for people. Correct. And how I'm hearing you talk about that, it's more or less, you were looking to soothe your nervous system versus build tolerance, stress tolerance. Yeah. Right. And so I think, you know, when people especially I'll go back in time and say, no, I was great at handling stress, right? I really did not handle stress. Well, I sucked at stress, Mm. (laughs) but as you build a stress tolerance in healthy ways through lifting through, you know, couples dancing through, um, anything that brings you back to this present moment and makes you engage martial arts, kickboxing, right. And then heat yoga, the hot yoga. Mm -hmm. These are all things to do. The key is bring your stress, your body out just enough. You know, this is also cold therapy, right? You know, the Wim Hof, Mm. all of that stuff, cold exposure, bring your body just enough outside its comfort zone, little pieces at a time to build that stress tolerance. And then that way you start to build it. So it's bigger. So you can handle more stressors without your body going into that fight or flight response. So it's twofold, right? So it's, I need to soothe, but then I also need to build it like a muscle. That's good. Yeah. That makes so much sense. And it makes sense too. I mean, just in the sense of how stress tolerance changes over time, depending on all of the other external stressors that we have. I mean, I know personally, um, we've been through a very stressful few years with my husband's work situation, and that has taken a toll on his physical health. And, Mm -hmm. you know, in partnership with him, I, I take a big weight emotionally (laughs) to care for him. And so it's just an interesting thing, how that balance plays out, not just in, in these habits, these daily habits, but just our emotional well-being, depending on the environment outside of us. So maybe Mm -hmm. that's a good time to ask what's going on with pandemic brain. What's going on with, with all of our brains right now, are, are we experiencing trauma on a grand scale? 100%. Um, but I'm also going to say that doesn't mean everybody is okay. Mm. Because trauma is a personal thing. 
And it also depends on your nervous system. And it depends on how stressed out your nervous system was before the pandemic. Ooh, yeah. Okay. So those, if you had pre-existing factors, most likely, yeah, you're experiencing it because there's criteria to what a trauma is. You know, everyone experiences bad experiences, but not everybody gets traumatized from your bad experience. Right. And so the differentiation is if you have a really bad experience, did you feel like you can move? Did you feel like you can have some kind of power somewhere? Right. And if you are able to navigate your nervous system, right, with some flexibility, it's just going to end up being a really bad experience. But if you were not able to move and you felt like there was no end in time and you didn't feel like you had a sense of agency anywhere, then that's going to become a traumatizing situation for you. And I think we have what this pandemic has highlighted is majority of us do not have really good stress management skills. We are lacking. And what we thought we needed to handle stress is not really real. And so it's either opening your eyes to, okay, things need to shift or you are stuck in possum right now and you don't know what the heck to do. And I think um, from the mental health perspective, I think we are just starting to see it. Yeah. We got a long road ahead of us. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're seeing all sorts of anxiety and depression and, and overdoses com- like skyrocketing. And it's, it is very concerning. Um, and I, and, and it's not talked about in a way that's giving us practical tools like you are, which is why your voice is so important. And it's not just about self-care either, right? Like, oh, just more self-care, hashtag self-care. Like self-care is that word out. Like, like, we- yeah, let, let's talk about your your relationship with the word self-care. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because it's so much more than the spa and getting mani pedis or hanging out with your friends and your buddies. You know, it's self-care is more about your activities and the rituals that create and sustain a flexible nervous system. Right. And it's not the going out drinking. It's not yeah. going out and being around folks that stress you out more than bring you to a sense of calm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I think that we, we think of these self-care things as being like, well, I've got to spend all this money <laughs> and do this one thing when we need to be adapting or adopting, yeah, adopting behaviors, <laughs> rituals. I like the word ritual. I, I really, I, maybe I'll start using that just ways to engage constantly and being aware of where we are on a daily basis, instead of just momentary this weekend, I'm doing some self-care. <laughs> exactly. It's not like the, um, hit or miss of it anymore. And the reason why I like to use rituals instead of like a schedule schedule, when I hear it, it started from my own recovery was it felt rigid yeah. and I couldn't do rigid anymore. Like I needed flexibility because I needed to know that I could fall asleep if I needed to fall asleep and not beat myself up because I didn't follow the schedule that I had. Right. And so when I got to the idea of this rituals, it was like, oh, I have flexibility. As long as this ritual happens, as long as this routine happens, I'm good. That's all that matters. So it allowed me to have power. And so that's where that came from for Mm -hmm. me. Yeah. You know, and that this year I gave myself a prescription for the new year instead of goals or resolutions, (laughs) kind of a similar idea. Like what makes me feel well, what's going to keep me in a balanced place. And so here are the things on my prescription, and this is what I'm going to try to incorporate for myself when I can, instead of like 
yeah, here are these things I have to do. Um, but we do live in a culture where it's about hustling, <laughs> right? And it's about just doing as much efficiency as much as we can with the time that we have. And you say we don't need to hustle to thrive. No, we do not. And so this was part, this is where the woo-woo came in for me. Okay. And I'm grateful for the woo-woo side because, you know, I don't believe in setting um, resolutions either for the new year. I say it's intention. What's my mm. intention for the year? What's my word that I want to have all this energy that I'm bringing in to the year with me, right? And this year for me, the intention was expansion. Expansion can mean many things in different areas, right? So when I was before the Mac dump truck accident, I hustled. I was always forcing my way through. I was always like going for the next big thing. I never, I don't think I honestly, I don't think I was able to really relish in any of my successes when I had them because it was like, nope, still not good enough. I still got to race because I'm racing against this invisible clock. And I don't know who these other people are that I'm like trying to say I'm better than. And what I learned on the woo-woo side going with that intention was, okay, I have this intention that I want to achieve for me. I want to bring this energy in everything that I do. And with that brings a flexibility. And with that allows you to keep your nervous system in a state where it's calmer, where you're able to have more flexibility because what we're ultimately doing is creating and sustaining a flexible nervous system. So it allows us to get into that energetic alignment and you can get into chakras if you want <laughs> at this point too. And we're getting in alignment with those intentions that you're setting and then you can achieve it because when you're in energetic alignment and you're in that parasympathetic state, you're able to go with the flow and then step on the gas when you need to. So put on that stress a little bit, right? Not so that it's overwhelming. And then you're also to make that movement forward and know that you're doing it with what you're intending to do versus, nope, I got to force this because I think I know better than what the universe is trying to tell me. I'm hitting wall after wall after wall versus saying, oh, I just hit a wall. That's a redirection. Where am I supposed to go here? Yeah. And it's, it's listening in for that because you're right. We want to ignore anything that's keeping us from that goal that we have, the project, the whatever it is that we think we're supposed to be doing. And we keep pushing to the detriment of our own physical bodies. A lot of times. 100%. And you know, that's when I'm working with my clients, they're like, what do you mean? Listen to my body. And I'm yeah. like, what did your body just say? Do you have the pit in your stomach? Did you just get really anxious about something? Pause for a moment, go inside and ask, what is this part telling you? What is it trying to convey to you? It doesn't mean we're not going to do it, but you need to check in first to figure out what it's trying to tell you because your body's your compass and your brain is the command center. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, yeah. I, I mean, that's, that's so much. Sorry. I, I got, I have so many things, other things I could ask you right now. And I'm realizing we're running out of time, uh, but I'd love to know how, <laughs> where does um, the concept of nourishing food and nutrition play a role with what you do? Big role, huge role. And it comes down to it's twofold. It's a two-way street, right? When we get stressed out, we look for comfort food, right? For me, it was cheese fries and red wine. I was big on those and to bring me that comfort to try to make me feel like I had some kind of, okay, I can do this. Right. And then, but I felt like crap afterwards. And the other piece to this is the more crappy you eat, the more symptoms that manifest as anxiety or depression, 
And it may not even have to do with anything like how we think of it in a traditional sense. So if you can change your diet into something that helps your um, gut health become the most optimal that it can be for your body, you may notice all these other symptoms go away. The mental health symptoms, I mean, mental illness symptoms go away. So it's not as clear cut as you go into an office and a therapist diagnoses you because based on what you're talking about in the symptoms, it's also got to include, did you drink enough water? Are you drinking enough water? And then also what's your diet looking like? Because what's your gut health looking like? You know, functional medicine is huge component to what I do. And it's the first thing I look for besides the stressors on the outside, because you get your gut health under control. You'll be amazed at what can happen because when your gut health is not under control, it activates your nervous system and it creates, because it creates inflammation in the body, chronic inflammation. And that's a, not a good place to be. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, you are speaking my language. <laughs> I, I was just reading yesterday um, about how just two hours of emotional stress can completely alter our gut bacteria, you know? So we have the emotional factor, but then we have a lot of things that we're eating that are continually altering the gut bacteria as well to where we have the gut microbiome currently does not look how it did, you know, a hundred years ago for people because of what we are eating. It's not really food. Not Our body so doesn't much. recognize it as food. And so it creates internal stressors along with the external stressors. And I think that, you know, humans we've gosh, we've, we've withstood so much for forever. And I mean, we, we can withstand a little toxicity, but it does seem that unless we create these flexible nervous systems, we're not going to be able to withstand that toxicity. Correct. 100%. I, I guess that's my phrase today. 100%. <laughs> yeah. You know, and personally for me, I'll speak to my own personal experience when I shifted my diet, you know, and I went into more of an anti-inflammatory diet and, you know, veggies and protein and I ate for my ancestry, right. Mm -hmm. And my culture mm -hmm. that shifted so many things for me that I noticed that I am able to handle a lot more than what I could have, you know, in addition to some of the other things that I do with the meditation and, and all of that other stuff, but it's just amazing how much clear, clearer I am in my mind. Yeah. Yeah. It all plays a role. And it's that, that gum gut brain connection is huge. And then we have the, the vagus nerve and that helps to regulate the autonomic nervous system. I mean, there's so much there that I just want to shout it from the rooftops, but I do know that we all have to get there when we get there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. There is no quick staple, um, easy staples button, you know, I, know, and I wish, I wish there was. Yeah. So oh. tell me, um, you know, I, I love asking this question because the name of the show is sparking wholeness. So if you could give one piece of advice to spark someone toward wholeness, just one, what would it be? You are more powerful than you can ever imagine. And little things, little steps lead to the big steps over time. It's not about thinking that you have to fix everything all at once because creating a new life and saying goodbye to your old way of being happens in stages. So each time you're moving forward, you're never going backwards. That's a myth. And just know you're heading in the right direction as long as you're putting one foot in front of the other and thinking, is this helping me get to where I want to be? That's good. Yeah, that, that's really good. And that's a good, gracious way um, to talk to yourself as well, because we do beat ourselves up for not doing enough or being enough or whatever the thing is. 
Yes, we do. And, you know, being trained as a family therapist and a trauma therapist, I'm like, we can go back into time. Oh my gosh. And talk all about that. That's a whole nother podcast episode. That's so true. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and you mentioned epigenetics. That's another one that I love to dive into, not just, you know, from a cellular level, right. But, but from that emotional trauma that gets passed on to our cells through our DNA that I don't, that's not talked enough it's not talked about enough either, especially when we were talking about like racial trauma and how yes. that plays a role. Oh my gosh, why aren't we talking about this? You know, I just get so, mm-hmm. oh, we, we have, we are trapped and many people are trapped in fight or flight before they're even born. Yes. And that that's distressing to me that that makes me sad that there's not an awareness. So I'm so glad that you're creating this awareness. Oh, thank you. And you know, unfortunately, I don't even want to say it's unfortunately because I'm proud of who I am. I'm proud of my family. I'm proud. You know, there's been, there was a lot of trauma that happened in my family and everyone has been doing the best that they could each generation. Mm, Right. mm -hmm. And I think that's something that's important for us. You know, when you're healing from it, right. You need to get angry. You're supposed to get angry. You're supposed to, and then learn how to shuffle through that and process that. But then it comes to honoring your family and honoring what everybody had to go through to get to where you are so that you can come here and say, this ends with me. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, that's, that's really good. (sighs) Okay. Well, we're just about in at the end. So I've got to ask, where can people follow you, learn more about you and and see what you're doing? Cause I know um, there are people wanting to know more about what we've talked about. Sure. Everyone can follow me on Instagram, LinkedIn, or Facebook at The Burnout Professor. And then once you're there, that's when you can go to my link tree. And the link tree has all these different um, things that you know, you'll find a free meditation, you'll find the services that I offer, um, public speaking events that I offer as well. And so but the best way simple way is Instagram, Facebook and LinkedIn. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for the time um, that you just took just to be on the show and share this information because I loved it. It was so much fun and time flew by way too fast. (laughs) I know. I feel like I just blinked. So thank you for having me. I'm honored. (laughs) The tiniest spark leads to the biggest blaze. And I hope that today's episode sparks you on a journey to healing and wholeness. Thanks for listening to Sparking Wholeness. For more information on what I do and my coaching programs, or maybe just to reach out and say, hey, find me at sparkingwholeness.com or on Instagram at sparkingwholeness. Have a fabulous week.